Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. How many times a week do you think about the Roman Empire? That's a question that, thanks to social media, has risen significantly in popularity over the past few months. The premise is that women will go up to their men and ask them, how many times a week do you think about the Roman Empire? And uh, the reason this is taking it by storm is because so many men, they respond, I don't know, at least once a week. And the women are astounded, like, why? Why are you thinking about the Roman Empire so much? But sometimes, you know, like some of us might be saying, never. The last time I thought about the Roman Empire was the last time you talked about it, Pastor. Uh, but I would fall probably somewhere in the middle because, I mean, I'm prepping. I'm thinking about the time that Jesus lived. So I, I, I think about it a few times a week at least. I don't think about it every day necessarily, but I do think about it a few times a week. But one of the things about the Roman Empire that people often don't think about was the way that the Romans collected their taxes. And one of the aspects of the Roman Empire that made them so successful for so long is that they assimilated in the other cultures. They brought the other cultures into their culture uh, and they allowed them to still practice their culture so long as they were in subjugation to the Romans, ultimately. But one of the ways to do this was by making the people of the conquered territories the ones who collect the taxes. So instead of having the Roman soldiers going in and collecting the taxes personally, which, you know, like if you have an invasive force over you and you have to go and give them money all the time, you're going to have, there might be some violence that rises up eventually. But when it's your own people, while you might hate them for it, you're less likely to be rising up against them and uh, much less likely to be enacting revolutions against your overlords. So the people of the conquered territory would then be offered a very lucrative job if they, wanted, if they would be willing to serve the Romans by collecting the taxes from their fellow countrymen. And if they wanted to pad the price of the taxes a little bit in order to pocket a little extra income, the Romans didn't care. They would let them do so. And in fact, that was expected by Rome. So now think about it this way. What if we were conquered by a rival nation? God forbid it, right? But what if we were conquered by a rival nation? I'll use China as an example because they're a major world power, right? If China rose up, was able to conquer America, and they enacted a series of taxes that we had to pay as individuals to support their empire, or we would be thrown in prison, or we could be executed, and they offered anyone who wanted a guaranteed living wage and the chance to live comfortably if they would just go and help collect and enforce those taxes. And if they skim a little bit off the top, if they make your taxes a bit higher than what you owe, then uh, eh, it's not a big problem. Now, think about if your neighbor took them up on that offer. Think about if your neighbor comes knocking on your door and says, taxes are due, you owe this much, and it's $100 more or whatever more than what you know that you owe, but you have to. The soldiers are there with him to help enforce. He holds the authority of the overlording nation. Think about if your own son or daughter did this. Or your brother. Or sister. How would you feel about that? 
Would it be easy to keep them in the family? Would it be easy to forgive something like that? Now, think about if the person sitting across the pew from you did this. And they started showing up to church and brand new vehicles and bright clothing and beautiful clothing and jewelry. And you know it's because of the money they're taking from everyone else in the church. Would you be happy to worship God beside them? We've been working through the gospel account of Matthew for the past few months, and we're already a quarter of the way through. And this morning, we are finally introduced to the author, Matthew, for the first time. And he was a tax collector. He was one of those guys. How in the world did this man, this traitor to his people, become one of the authors of the accounts of Jesus' life? Let's look at the text together. Uh, Just the very beginning of the verse, it says that Jesus passed on from there and he saw the man called Matthew. So like I already just said, we're in chapter 9 and there's 28 chapters in Matthew. This is a quarter of the way through the book of Matthew and we are first, just now, introduced to Matthew. This tells us something really important. What is the book of Matthew about? Is it about Matthew? Not at all. It's got Matthew's name on it, but it's not about him. It is about Jesus. His story, the story that he is remembered for, is the story of Jesus, not his own story. So he's sitting at the tax booth, and as we said, Matthew's the tax collector. He's a traitor to his people. He's hated by the other Jews because he was representative of the overarching force that was forcing them into subjugation. And he was doing so against his own people. You can understand if uh, a foreigner comes and takes over. But when it's your own brother or son or a fellow church member or one of those things, that's a lot harder to understand. How could you be so selfish? Surely, Jesus didn't want this guy as his follower. Surely, he couldn't want this traitor. But Jesus walks up to him while he's sitting there in the tax booth at work, and he said to him, follow me. Now, this is startling, right? If you're really thinking about this and being honest about it and putting yourself emotionally into this situation, this is startling that Jesus would come before this guy, this trader, and say, follow me. Now, if I was one of the guys who was one of the fishermen, I'd be like, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know who this guy is? Don't you know how he's, what he's done to his own people? Your people, Jesus. We can't trust him. If he betrayed his people once, he'll do it to us. But Jesus isn't marked by any anxiety over this. In John 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And what he says in John 10 as well is that he cares for his sheep and his sheep know his voice. And when he calls out to them, they respond. Because they know his voice. Now, Jesus isn't anxious because he knows his lamb, Matthew. Jesus created his lamb, Matthew. Jesus isn't pleading with Matthew to follow him. He's not overriding Matthew's ability to think or make decisions and choose whether or not to follow. He is simply giving the command for his lamb to follow the shepherd. And Matthew rose 
and followed him. Now in Luke, it says that Matthew uh, left everything to follow Jesus. And we see this immediate obedience that as the call of the shepherd calls out to the traitorous lamb, the lamb rejects it all and leaves and comes back to the shepherd. He follows his master back to the sheepfold. Now, this should be startling to some extent as well. Who expected the traitor to give up everything in order to follow the man who said, not long ago, I don't even have a place to lay my head. But Matthew did follow because he heard his master's call and he recognized the voice. Brothers and sisters, ultimately, this is going to be a really short sermon. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, your story is not about you. When sinners who are lambs of Christ hear their master's call to follow him out of the wilderness, the brambles, the thorns, and the muck that they have gotten themselves into, it often feels a bit scary. It often feels a bit painful as Christ detangles us from these thorns. These thorns that the longer they've been there have dug in deeper and deeper into our flesh. It is painful as Christ removes these from us. And so it's scary. It's painful at times. It's most certainly humbling, recognizing that we made a mess of things when we were left to our own devices. Look at where we've gotten ourselves. And look at how much work, Christ, you're going to have to do to make me whole again. It's humbling. But if we listen as his sheep, if we heed Christ's call, if we listen, that call, if we are a lamb of God, it should create a longing within us, a longing to be set free from those thorns and this, the sin that so entangles us. But uh, at times it feels almost nostalgic as I'm being called out of my sin. When I, when I first became a Christian, it was a feeling of nostalgia, being pulled back to something that was good, something that I was made for, and not knowing it. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says something along the lines of, if we find within ourselves a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only thing we can conclude is that we were not made for this world. We were made for something more. And so as the shepherd calls, and often that'll come, that'll come through a pastor or a friend calling out the gospel. In a very real sense, if you are faithful to proclaim the gospel to people, you are speaking for Christ. Christ is speaking through you. He is calling his sheep back to himself through your voice. And if we believe that the gospel is the power to save, as Romans 1, 16 tells us, then we should be bold in proclaiming that gospel. And if we believe that Jesus' sheep hear his voice and know it, we should be confident in knowing that when we faithfully proclaim the gospel and boldly and courageously proclaim that, that Christ's sheep will hear it and they'll respond. Now we don't know who they are. And so we need to proclaim this to everyone. But we should feel the sense of longing as Christ calls for us. 
we should sense this feel of a desire, a longing to be set free from sin, of knowing the mess that I've made of my own life, and the desire for Christ to make me whole once more, to bring me back to my home that I should be in. We should have a longing to be where we were always meant to be, in a perfect, righteous standing before God. And Jesus, our shepherd, offers that to us. He offers it freely, not requiring payment, because he actually loves that sheep, that lost lamb. He actually loves you. And he wants what is best for you. He wants to restore you from your rebellious, prideful sin to life everlasting. He wants your life to count for something on this earth. And the only way that we can have that is by knowing what it means to be a true human. And the only way that we can know that is through the creator who created humans. He knows what is best, what is true humanity. And that's the only option that we have. And the only way for our life to ultimately count on this earth is to make the name of God known and glorified throughout all the ends of the earth, sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others. Sisters, he wants you to be a woman, a daughter, a sister, a wife, or a mother who recognizes her true calling to reject all the promises of a perfect life that you are bombarded with every day. All the ways that you are promised happiness if you change your appearance or personality or the things that you have, the car that you drive, any of these things, all of these things that you are being told by the world that if you fit society's mold like this way, you're going to be happy. All the things that you're told to spend money on to be a real, desirable woman. It's all rubbish. Your shepherd is calling you to listen to him. To give up your comforts and your ideals to hear his call. And to be a true, and to know true womanhood. To give of yourself for the sake of caring for your family. To be thinking of ways to meet the physical and spiritual needs of those around you. To be willing to work. To potentially look foolish. And to give your life for the sake of glorifying Christ. Now, from as early as 111 AD, this is less than 100 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. As early as that, we have evidence from the Roman Empire that women were boldly going out and serving the church, glorifying God, even when that meant that if they were caught, they would be tortured. We actually have a letter from a Roman governor to the emperor saying, hey, I caught these two women. They call themselves servants of the church. I tortured them for information about this, this uh, heretical religion called Christianity. We have the writings of this. From the earliest times, women have been involved. There is work to be done for you, sisters. Sisters, in so many ways, our culture demeans you by either making you feel like you're either less than men, exactly the same as men, or even better than men. It's in the flock of Jesus Christ where you can be a powerful, vital servant for the cause of Christ and to stand in true womanhood. Your call is a call 
to sacrifice and love, to great effort and great thought, to kill your flesh daily, and to be raising up men and women of Christ, whether that's through your own children or by being a spiritual mother, sister, or daughter to the members of this church. Your call is to give up everything and leave it behind for the sake of Christ. Brothers, he wants you to be a man, a son, a brother, a husband, or a father who recognizes that his true calling is to leave everything this world has to offer for the sake of knowing and following Christ. To set aside worldly ideas of what it means to be a man and look to Christ as the only man who has ever embodied manhood perfectly. In Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church in the sense that Jesus died for her. He sacrificed for her. He counted her worthy of his life effort. And to the man of God, the call of sacrifice is the same whether you're a husband or not. Gentlemen, the call of Christ is the call to true manhood, to sacrifice and love, to great effort and thought, to killing the flesh daily, to raising up men and women of Christ, whether it's through your own children or by being a spiritual father, brother, or son to the members of this church, but it's not for your own sake, Ben. It's for the sake of the true man, Christ. Your shepherd, your captain is calling you, man. Come and see true life. Stand and answer. Brothers and sisters, your story is not about you. It's about Christ. Live your lives in such a way that it's clear that you recognize that. You are called to so much more than earthly comforts and your own kingdom building. You're called to so much more than living your best life now. You are called to leave everything behind for the sake of Christ. And if your story looks less like Matthew and more like an autobiography, if your story is the story of me and not the story of Christ, then I implore you, I plead with you to consider what changes you still need to make in your life. To make your life about Jesus and not about you. Search your heart. Pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate to you the ways in which your sin has held you back. The ways in which your sin has made you selfish and turned inward instead of turned outward to Christ first and foremost and then to the lost and dying world around us immediately after because of what Christ has done. What changes do you need to make to make your life about Jesus and not about you? Now, if you need to pray as we're closing out this time, you can pray at your seat. You're welcome to come to the front to pray and kneel down if that's uh, how you would prefer to do this. But pray. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek his illumination in your life to show you where you are still in sin. Where your life story is still about you and not about Jesus. Now, if you want someone to pray with, you're welcome to come forward or come pull me aside and ask for prayer for me. I want to pray with you. I want to be here for you. But don't keep on 
in this making your story about yourself or making your story about anything else, even if it's your family, if that comes before Christ. I mean, none of us come to the end of our lives and say, I wish I would have made Christ a bigger deal in my life. If you're here this morning and your story has never been about Christ, then I'm calling you to right now change that. Maybe as I preached this morning, you felt that call of longing to follow the great shepherd, to be detangled from the sin that has ensnared you. If that's the case, then please be like Matthew and leave everything to follow Christ. He is worth it. If you don't know exactly what that looks like and what that means, pull me aside and talk to me. Uh, There's nothing more important to me than making the gospel clear to you than making what the call of Christ is in your life, than making that clear. So if you need someone to talk to, pull me aside and talk to me about this, please. But change the narrative of your story. May you find true life in Christ. Your shepherd is calling you, and he has not promised you another sunrise. Heed his call. Let's pray.